Welcome, folks, to episode 3184 of the Survival Podcast. When I say live, if you're listening to this on the audio side where uh, the vast majority of people do, that's just because we do most episodes now, probably four days a week, as live uh, streaming video podcasts as well as the audio. If you want to catch that, uh, the best way to make sure you never miss anything, you can go to tspclive.com at any given time, and unless... The last one we did is still up there. The next one coming will be there with all the locations and places you can come. Uh, you can also get connected with us on social media and stuff like that. The survivalpodcast.com. You can go there and click on get social and a little announcement and a big thank you to, uh, friend of the community and partner John Bush at the free academy. I got a telegram, uh, I am from him, uh, last week toward the end of the week and it said, Hey, somebody on dan.com is selling survivalpodcast.com, which is a domain I originally wanted for the podcast, was not available all the way back in 2008. Dude squatted on it since then. At one point, he was asking me for like five grand for it. And John sent this to me, and he was asking 400 bucks. Now, if it was a few years ago, I probably would have given him 400 bucks, but I figured he might have been getting tired of sitting on a domain he has no use for uh, that only has value due to, well, what I do with Survival Podcast. So I offered him 200 bucks and I ended up having to go up to even negotiate because that's how Dan works. I paid 211 bucks. So soon you can leave the the off and you'll still get where you want to go. We're just not quite there yet. We're waiting for it to come through. So survivalpodcast.com will finally be the domain that I've always wanted for the show. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? I got a bunch of stuff for you. Do you know that right now there's 4 million barrels of oil being produced less a day? in the world, but oil prices really haven't gone up since OPEC made its cut and since our production went down by about the same amount. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Almost nobody knows this, and it's not a secret. And it's one of those things that's like, well, when this corrects, what happens to numbers then? Uh, next up, a while back, I did a show on um, Layer 3 technology for Bitcoin, and you're going to want to hear about this whether you like Bitcoin or not. I, I said, if I was going to develop a product in this space today, it would be a layer three, true layer three browser. Well, there's a thing called impervious coming very soon. And it's going to be the alpha release of a browser that is, well, it's everything that I had said that I wanted and it's more. And I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to tell you why. If you never own a Bitcoin, you might, you know, you might want to wait for the, the initial users like us to get through that alpha beta thing where there's problems and bugs, but you're going to want to know about this and you're going to want to use it. I think you will. Um, the Ukraine-Russia conflict, I want to explain exactly how it shows us perfectly a living example of Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity by simply pointing something out that's really obvious in what decisions you'd have if you saw two people that were about to get into a fight. There's really four decisions or four choices you could make in regard to that. There's only four and I'll tell you what they are. Um, we'll talk about why Elon Musk is now a tool of Putin because he expects to be paid for the service he provides, I guess. I'm going to show you um, an example of how social credit scores and CBDCs are going to be sold to the world as a whole. It's kind of frightening, actually. Uh, Biden is not concerned about U.S. inflation. Nah, we're good. We're better than everybody else. We'll fix the rest of the world. 
eat some ice cream, and then we'll worry about the United States. It's literally a let them eat cake moment. But I have a question for you. Are weak men dangerous? Um, somebody on Twitter, can't remember who it was now, posted a thing that said, weak men are dangerous. And I said, I don't fully agree. In our society, weak men are dangerous. But I believe the state makes weak men dangerous. We'll have a little discussion about that. And uh, I got a little uplifting thing for you at the end. Dude posted a thing on Twitter I thought was amazing. I'll tell you about it when we get there. And I would just ask, how much better would the world be if everybody followed this very easy-to-follow example that he's setting? Very inexpensive-to-follow example that he's setting because it could be done with, well, you'll find out when we get there. And then I'm going to talk about this lunatic period of flux. There's really six things that you can do. We'll tell you about those and how nothing else really matters. Um, I know nothing else is a big term, but I'll explain what I mean when we get there. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is KnifeKits.com. One of the things you need to be doing in this world is getting better at being able to do stuff, having hard skills. And little fun projects like making knives teach you a lot about woodworking and metalwork and things like that. And KnifeKits.com makes it so easy, even a person like me can make a freaking knife. Because I am not a good metalsmith or anything. Like, I really am not. Like, it's not my world. But with kit knives, basically, you have the whole knife already formed. It's just not sharpened yet. You're going to have to put an edge on it. You're mounting your scales, and you're doing some other stuff to it. They have all kinds of helpful information as well where you can learn how to do it if you don't know how to do it. Basically, walk yourself through very inexpensive correspondence course. For some people, this becomes a hobby, a side hustle, or even a full-time business, or just a way to make heirlooms with, you know, your kids, like your nephews, your nieces, your children, uh, your grandkids and stuff like that. I sure wish, I sure wish that I had a knife that I had built with my grandfather or just a knife my grandfather had built. Both of those would be awesome things to own to this day. Uh, that would be priceless to me. Even if it was a crappy job, it wouldn't matter. You know what I'm saying. Next up today is BulkAmmo.com. Get ready for a full court press on gun control bullshit coming up. Uh, especially like after the election in the lame duck session of Congress, trying to get something done before a lot of these clowns get kicked out and go home. Uh, and whether they do it or not, the first thing that disappears off the shelves isn't guns. It's magazines and ammunition. That's, that's what disappears first. Most stuff is in stock over at bulkammo.com. Lightning fast shipping right to your door. Remember, if you're an MSB member, you also get a discount on orders at bulkammo.com. And uh, I would get your ammo now, and I would keep stacking ammo just like you keep stacking silver and you keep stacking sats, hopefully, uh, and keep stacking those uh, preparedness items as well. Uh, ammo is just one of them, but it's a very important one. Remember, what is a gun without ammunition? It's a very expensive club. Can't do what a gun is supposed to do. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and uh, jump on into it. Remember, if you have questions or comments, please put them in all caps below in the live feed. And a uh, real quick reminder as well, I will never contact you for any personal information here on any of these streaming platforms, Instagram, anywhere like that. People are constantly creating uh, fake accounts, going after my audience and telling them it's me, etc. I thought one of the most creative things was uh, somebody that was approached on Instagram said, really, you're Jack, what's your diet like? And he's like, well, I'm like 70% carbohydrates, mostly fruits and vegetables. The guy's like, you're not Jack. So whatever you want to do. Do it. Did I sell the boat? I sold the boat a long time ago. I'm not sure exactly what you're asking about, but which boat, but uh, the last boat I owned, I sold it to my buddy David a long time ago. 
He bought it for his dad. His dad's one of those guys that takes care of everything perfectly, garage kept and everything. And, uh, uh, and, and it's my buddy's dad, so we can still use it anytime we want to. It's kind of a really creative solution, elegant solution. Anyway, let's go on and uh, dive into this today. I want to start out with oil production. And what's actually going on here? So uh, a, a little while ago, Brandon went over to OPEC and said, please, would you make more oil? Because we are paying too much of the pump. And OPEC said, not only are we not going to make more, we're going to cut production by 2 million barrels. Now, this comes at a particularly bad time, if you're Brandon, because not only are we leading up to midterm elections, U.S. refining capacity is always down this time of year. I wonder if anybody out there knows why. Um, why it just is always right about now. Give you a couple seconds to maybe answer it in your head, and I'll tell you. It's because the refineries begin to shut down operations and phase shutdowns, clean everything out, and switch things up to start making winter-mixed gasoline. So we're down about 2 million barrels a day. OPEX cut production by 2 million barrels a day. And, of course, gas is expensive. So everybody says it's Brandon's fault because he pissed off the OPEC people and we're not making enough oil here in America. And I was listening to um, one of the last episodes that will ever happen of a show called Wheels. It's a local show about the auto industry run by a dude named Ed Wallace. And this guy, he's a liberal at heart, but I love the dude. I love the work that he's done. Um, always have in spite of the fact that we probably would politically disagree a lot because he's a great car guy. He's a great, he does a little segment called backside of history. He's very, very interesting stuff on history. Um, I've talked to him a couple of times about putting that in a podcast. He's finally retiring. It's after like 30 seasons. He's retiring. Uh, finally, he's in his upper seventies now, you know, he's ready to go live, live the retirement life. And, uh, he was saying this weekend on his show that, Everybody's saying this, but the price of a barrel of oil is actually a little bit less than it was the day that OPEC announced it was it was reducing production. And again, Ed is a liberal at heart, but when it comes to numbers, he's usually not wrong. But sometimes he doesn't know or doesn't look for or doesn't figure out why. I'm about to show you a big part of why right now. For those that are watching the video, what you're seeing there is a graphic. That's France, the country of France. And those are all the gas stations in France that, as of a couple days ago, have no gasoline at all. Zero. Not, there's a line to get gas. There is no gas in the gas stations. They're empty. They're empty. Eka Mouse is on you guys again. You better hammer that like button or you're going to get her mad. You don't want a mad Eka Mouse. Anyway, um, it's a lie. It's pretty much the whole country. Out of gas. What the hell's going on? Well, France, not being a completely stupid country, realized a long time ago the precarious position they were in and decided we need some oil refineries and we need to, like, import oil and refine our own oil instead of importing gas from somebody that refines it for us. Well, the French have a real habit of going on strike for, like, everything. There was too, too small amount of cheese in the lunch today, so they go on strike. So the, uh, the French oil refinery, uh, employees are on strike. So the French oil refineries are making no oil. And the French government said, thou shall go back to work. Like, like Reagan did with the air traffic controllers in the eighties. The, the thing was that it, and France doesn't work. 
They just said, no, we shall not go back to work. We will eat our cheese and wine, and you will suffer until you meet our demands. And so people think of France as a relatively small country. France has a population of just under 68 million people. So 68 million people that would usually be participating in the petroleum economy aren't at all. Now, there's some other things going on that have held this in check. But I just want to ask you what you think is going to happen when eventually they say, okay, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put the good cheese back in your lunches or whatever it is. And I don't mean to ridicule these guys. I'm trying to make a little humor because this is some dark shit, right? Whatever they want, they'll give them some, like sooner or later, this has to, this impasse has to end. And so all of a sudden these refineries are going to come back online. Now this will take a while. This is not an on off switch. There, there will be just like when there's hurricanes, there's a ramp back up. They shut refineries down sometimes or drilling platforms down. They don't get hit, but just to turn them back on, there's a, there's a startup and a shutdown procedure. But sooner or later, this, this dam will break. It will break going into winter, particularly high demand energy usage in, in EU and in, in northern France, especially. Um, what do you think is going to happen? My belief is that, you know, uh, sooner or later, this is going to have an impact. We, we're, we are going to have the result of 4 million barrels a day of production gone from the world. And right now it's been, it's held off. Well, this is kind of an important thing globally, right? No refineries in the nation of France are refining oil. Have you heard about it? Anybody out there, have you heard about this on Fox News or MSDNC or you know, any of these Washington Compost papers or whatever. Have you heard about this? And I'm going to bet most of you haven't. And there's this is we're back to agenda and pattern. There is no advantage for these people in telling you this. Because all it does is make you look at Brandon and go, hey, hey, with France offline, shouldn't shouldn't the gas prices even be lower? What's up, dude? Where is that's not good for the Democrats going into the election have high gas prices, but if there were any little things that might irritate people a little bit more, like, hey, you know what? It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse because it has to, because this can't go on forever. How long do you think France is going to go with no oil being refined before they damn well will force those guys back to work or they will come to some sort of settlement? And when it happens, again, all of a sudden 70 million people are sucking on that oil system that's 4 million barrels of production down. Now, the offset, the U.S. will come back up to, you know, near 100% refining capacity over the next few weeks. And that's the bet that's being made. They'll be able to get that done. I remain skeptical. I remain skeptical. If only there was a big tube, you know, tubes, like the one senator said about the Internet, it's full. The tubes are full, right? If only there was a big tube, that took like one of our most reliable trading partners and brought oil from them to us. If that only existed, but it, it almost exists. It's so close to being where you could just plug it in and go, but nah, we don't need that. It'll be all right. Right. I'm sure if we're paying seven bucks a gallon for gas, no big deal. We can do that. And we'll hear, I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you in a bit why that probably is about how Joe Biden, when he's cognizant, feels about it because he was recently uh, let off leash, eating an ice cream cone, and allowed to talk to the press uh, without handlers. And that was all, that's always bad. But I got something better news for you. 
Uh, I want to talk to you about this, and I want to get these guys on the air uh, for a Bitcoin breakout episode. And again, it's about so much more than Bitcoin, because if you look at the stuff that this does, it's only the very bottom that even says anything about Bitcoin. It's like the last feature. I said recently when I was, I did a show and I talked about layer three tech that we need to build. And specifically like, okay, if I was going to start up a company and build a layer three thing, what would I build? And I said, I would build a browser. And as I went through it, I was like, I know I can install an Albius extension. And I, I understand that. And like, no, but I would have this one browser that rules them all. And it would be, it would use Bitcoin lightning. So it was open to anybody and everybody. And it would do all these other things. So along the way, after I said that, somebody's like, oh, it's being built. Really? Who? Well, it's a company called Impervious. And the company's uh, website, as you can see there, is impervious.ai. And they are going to finally release publicly the alpha version, which means there will be bugs. There always are on a new OS of any kind or new 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 uh, app of any kind. But on 10 19 so it's two days away. Unlimited P2P transfers, group video calls, encrypted messaging, file sharing, live documents on board with encryption, lightning payments, whether they're to websites or user to user, and all censorship and surveillance resistant. So does that mean that they're 100%? Uh, we're, we're like, no, no, none of the alphabet agencies can probably hack into them. Probably not. Like, this is something you need to understand about why this is so powerful. So I would like to see everybody doing what I do and you make everything you do as encrypted as possible. I really would. Like when you're looking at a picture of a cat that your Aunt Edna sent you, that browser session should be encrypted. This does that. And I, I want to know what else it does. I want to get these guys on air. We need to find out about this. Okay. We need to know more about this because that's what this will do. And so If the alphabet agency du jour, uh, the NSA or whatever decides they want to know what K Bonk was looking at yesterday and he's using encryption, they can figure it out in time. But it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. Think of it sort of like Bitcoin mining, but you don't have a pool. You're by yourself because it's a brute force attack. And eventually you'll find the encryption key and you'll get through it. But if you have to do every instance of it, right? And if you have to do it for everybody, it becomes untenable. And, and this, this thing is so revolutionary that there's already scuttlebutt that they might get kicked off of GitHub because this scares people. I like things that scare people. And I don't mean in the crazy prepper way either. I mean the people in power, the oligarchs, when they're afraid of a thing, I want to empower that thing. This is basically going to allow you to communicate with anybody anytime you want to fully encrypted all the time. And instead of trying to explain encryption to somebody, all you got to get them to do is use a different browser. That's powerful. Again, I want to get these guys on. If any of you guys know anybody um, at Impervious or have any contacts there, please reach out to them and, you know, tell them that, you know, like I'm legit. I really want to help them. I have a long uh, history of, of promoting this type of technology. And I, I think it can be uh, the case that sometimes people worry, like, who is this clown reaching out to me or whatever if they don't know who you are? doesn't matter how long you've been around. But the more they hear from people, 
the more likely they are. If you're on Twitter, hey, man, give them an at chat and let them know. Get in touch with Jack from the Survival Podcast and Bitcoin Breakout, and uh, let's let's get them on air. And if there's the other thing. So they have their alpha coming out in two days. A lot of times these companies, they're like, well, we, you know, we don't want to come on a podcast until, like, we are ready. Like, you come on my podcast, we're looking a month and a half, two months out usually when we're, when we're booking, unless you hit a perfect window when we start recycling our bookings. By the way, we're doing that right now. We're booking through the end of the year for both Bitcoin Breakout and survivalpodcast.com. So you can get by either website, fill out the guest form, and uh, get in because we are going to book through the end of uh, 2023, and we're going to close the guest forms uh, 100%. So uh, what I want to talk about next is something – that we've discussed a lot lately, but you can see it playing out in social media and in the general media and in society as a whole right now. And you can see it playing out with the Ukraine-Russia war. So here's how, how, how I view this. There is a fight that's ongoing between Ukraine and Russia. So let's just break it down to it's a fight. You're walking down the road and you see two people get in a fight. Make it as simple as possible. Or maybe it's... uh Two companies that get in a fight, or it's two countries that get in a fight. But keep simple in the beginning and just ask yourself, if I see two people, they're going to get into a fight. What are all the options on the table that I have? And I, I've broken it down to four. Okay? I've broken it down to four, and I think it would be hard to come up with a fifth. We're going to call the two sides A and B, so we don't get any emotion in this. So option one We can enter the fight on the side of A. Option two, we can enter the fight on the side of B. Option C, we can attempt to prevent the fight. We can play a peacemaker role of some kind. Basically, whether it's a passive peacemaker, hey, can we all get along? Or, hey, back off or you're both screwed. Right? And then option four is we can we can stay out of the fight. I, I don't really – and if you can come up with a fifth option here, Maybe you could come up with a hybrid, like we pretend to try to stop, but we're really on the side of A. We're the peacemaker, but we're on A's side, and we actually angle every... Well, then you're, you're getting in the fight on the side of A. You're back. See what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those four options. So right now, society as a whole, when it, in regard to the Ukraine-Russia conflict, most people, unless you're like part of Russia, right, where you would probably side with Russia because it's your country, whether you're right or wrong, you probably would. Many of, many of the people there would. Most people in the West, they are between taking the side of A, which we'll say is Ukraine in this, or the other, the other two options, which is not B, which is not taking the side of B. It is we should be making peace or staying out of it. And this should be very easy for anybody to understand. So when I say there's a lot more going on in Ukraine than you know about, there was an eight-year civil war going on. There's all kinds of shit and shady crap on both sides, and I don't think any of this is worth World War III. The Ukraine is not a democracy. It is not, a country is not a democracy when the president of that country can ban opposition parties and throw political opponents in jail. That's not a democracy. I ran my, my poll on Twitter, didn't use any countries in it, and said, if the country does this, is it most mostly a democracy or a dictatorship? And 90% of people that answered that poll said it was a dictatorship without knowing what country I was talking about. And I bet most of the 10% are the people that are not very fond of democracy either. They're being, they're outsmarting the poll. I think if you took that out to the average person on the street and you said, Hey, 
is this a democracy or a dictatorship with no name on the country? They said that's a dictatorship. Or it's closer to a dictatorship than what we think of as a democracy. So we've got this mess. You've got a civil war, and now you've got a, a second nation involved, and the, the civil war has been happening on their border with people that are ethnically of that country. And you look at that as a person with a, like a logical mindset, and you say, well, Ukraine's not part of NATO. They're not part of the EU. Neither of those things are true yet. We have no formal alliance with them. The country is corrupt as hell. We put this this government in charge by our own manipulation. It's a big reason this is going on in the first place. Everything we touch like this goes to shit. So maybe, since we're risking war with another nuclear power, we should take option four, right? Stay out of it. Or at most, we should be legitimately in option three. How do we make peace? That So that's what you have. On the West, on the, you know, when I say West, I mean all of Western Europe, UK, all the way over the United States, everybody's stating their opinion. It's like, hey, I, I think we should stay out of this. But what are they being labeled as? Russian assets, tools of Putin. How many times have I been called a tool of Putin? How many, how many times, you see, hanging laundry trying to break it, sixth option, he says, drop more blank checks. That's, that's getting in the fight on the side of A. Right? Um, now, Matthew says option five wants its USA and demonstrating in Syria help both sides A and B play both sides. I guess you could that in the end, you're always when you do that, you're always really slanting it toward one side that you want to ultimately win now. That's, that's that chess move. Like you, you kind of play with both so you know what's going on, but you really slant it toward one. But what I'm talking about now with Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity is every single person that says, you know, I'm really not pro-World War III. You're a tool of Putin. You're a Russian asset. Like, as though the, the Jack Spirico from the Survival Podcast sways enough to matter in that debate, right? And it's one thing when they say it about me. At least I have a media president. This gets said about people that have, like, no sway at all. You're a, you're a Russian, Russian agent. You're a Russian asset. This is retarded. This is stupid. But it's, it's, it's intelligent people otherwise behaving this way. And you can see it going on right now with what's going on with Elon Musk. So what you may have heard, I don't know, you may not, depends on how much news you pay attention to. You may have heard that Elon Musk is now a Russian asset, uh, a tool of Putin, blah, 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 whatever. Because he is directly compromising the safety and security of the Ukrainian army and of America's interests abroad. Okay, well, how's he doing this? So back in March, they realized, like, the Ukrainian army needed, like, Internet communications throughout the nation of Ukraine while they were on maneuvers, and they really had no way to do that. But Elon had built this shit called Starlink, and the U.S. government bought a whole bunch. Like, they, Elon gave it to them. Well, not really. The government paid for all of the terminals that got shipped over to Ukraine. And Elon repositioned a shitload of satellites Very significant expense with this and gave them up till now free internet service. That's what Elon did. Had Starlink reposition a shitload of satellites and serve a part of the world they really weren't serving. That's not exactly a key demographic for Starlink and gave them no charge service. And this is not the service you get for a hundred bucks a month or 120 bucks a month or whatever it is to your house. 
This is a much higher level of service. This is something 500,000 bucks a month a pop that, that you would be getting in return for this level of service. So at this point, Elon, being someone like myself, who's not an agent of Putin, doesn't think Putin's a good guy, not coming down on the side of Russia, just simply saying, I don't think World War III is a good thing for any of us. And, you know, we've been taking a big hit on this. So if you'd like to keep using the Internet service we're providing, somebody needs to pay the bill. Like, you guys have sent tens of billions of dollars to this country. We're providing this at no cost to them, at considerable cost to ourselves. Somebody needs to pay the bill. And they're, they're calling for a federal investigation of Elon Musk. Let's throw him in a clink, man. He's a traitor. Now, none of these people are providing free anything to Ukraine other than at the point of a gun in the form of tax dollars, which everybody seems to be okay with, you know, forced by proxy in the world of big government. But this is, this is absolutely 100%. Um, Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity. You've simply exercised, in in the case of Elon, he's actually been pro-Ukraine this whole time. Because otherwise he wouldn't have repositioned satellites and provided the service for this long. It's like, you know, this can go on forever, and you idiots, you guys are trying to blow up the planet, so I'm not cool with that. So if nothing else, we at least want to be paid to do this. Tool of Putin, right? Anybody that says anything you you disagree with in this thing gets lumped into that because they've chosen stay out of the fight or try to make peace. Now, here's I'm going to extend this. If you're walking down the road, and even if you know the people, if you see two people getting into a fight with each other physically, and they're both kind of shitty people, and maybe one is a shittier guy than the other one, but they're both shitty, and you don't owe either one of them anything, What's the best thing you can do? What is the smartest choice you can make? Hey, guys, let's get along or jump in on Billy's side or Tommy's side or just say, well, I guess Billy and Tommy are going to beat the shit out of each other. Not my problem. I'm not inserting myself there. And I would assert that in 99% of situations where there is some sort of a conflict, unless you have an incredibly clear-cased victim, big dude, little woman, right, The best course of action is not to get involved or play the role of peacemaker. And probably more often than not, not get involved at all, right? K-Bonk says sell tickets. K-Bonk says sell tickets. Maybe you do that. But you don't get involved. And if you do, you're probably going to end up worse for it. So if you're going to involve yourself in a third party's conflict, there better be considerable upside or serious risk to yourself. Now, what no one's explained to me is how two Russian provinces that are in Ukraine making their own determination that they don't want to be part of Ukraine, whether that's right or wrong, I don't care, hurts me or any other American's interest here at home while we have all these other problems. So because of that, I'm a tool of Putin. I get people all the time when I talk like this. I'll probably get some today. They comment in the comments below, and they'll say, Jack, you're wrong on Ukraine. And my response is, okay, where? What's, and I'll, I'll list. Here's the things that I'm saying. You tell me which one I'm wrong on. No response. Either you get zero response or you get yelling and shouting and gnashing of teeth. And this is why stupid people in Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity, which rem- remain, remember what that means. It does not mean intellectually slow, though they can be. 
It is people who have been made stupid through propaganda are very dangerous. Very dangerous. So uh, next up, I wanted to show you this. Let me get everything ready on this side. Uh, it's going to be a quick video that I have. I'm going to bring it up on the screen now. And this is a guy that came out of China, and he's explaining the benefits of using, you know, social credit scores and the data that can be found and what that can do to help make the world a better place. And uh, I'm going to rewind it here so we start right where I want it to be. Well, just a quick question. When you look out at what's happening so far in this sphere, mm -hmm. uh, do you see any ways in which – you know, the transaction data is so helpful, are being used now or, or could be used or should be put into a plan? Just any specific example. Well, I can give you one example in China because I personally experienced it, right? Those transaction data can be utilized by service providers in credit underwriting in the sense that, you know, those transaction data in terms of how many coffee I drink every day. Where I buy coffee? Do I use uh, Uber every day? And what kind of working hours I have? Those non-traditional data can be very useful for financial service providers to give me a credit score. And based on a credit score, the financial service provider give me a credit line without any face-to-face -face due diligence. That's a big saving because traditionally, you know, banks, they need to do due diligence. They need to meet with us face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. They need to even visit my home if they want to give me a home equity loan, right? Uh -huh. So there's a lot of cost associated with traditional credit underwriting. But the non-traditional credit underwriting is based on data. And there is no need for face-to-face -face meeting. And okay. it's much faster and much cheaper. And that's a way to create value. And we see a lot of that already in China because we have very good mobile payment system in China. And those service providers, they are providing a lot of additional financial service in addition to payment. Right. And that can be very profitable. And that's the value we are talking about to make it attractive to private sector players to join this ecosystem. See, it'll be great. It'll be great when we have social credit scores, when they have access to all your data, when they know exactly how many times a week you go to Starbucks and what coffee you buy. You won't have to have them invade your home anymore. You, you, I don't know if you caught that. There's a bit of an accent there. So what he was saying is if you want a home equity loan, your home must be invaded, which, I, you know, I don't know how they do this in China. But the only time I've ever had to have somebody actually inspect the home was a third-party inspector when I was buying a house. Like, we, we really haven't done home. We did do a home, a cash-out refi once, and we didn't have anybody invade our house. But you see, do you see, and this will be, you got to understand something. All of this is marketing. And marketing is an art. It's a scientific art. And the way we do marketing is we, we put a piece of collateral out and we look at it and we look at the results we get from it and we split test it A and B and we refine it over time. This will be refined to suit the American marketplace, to suit the American consumer. It, it will continue to 
tweak this message. But this is the core message that's going to come forward with all of this data collection. And eventually, of course, these, these, the only purpose of having a social credit score to really make it work, you have to tie it into some sort of centralized, uh, currency that can be controlled. And now I have the data and I have the transactional data to go along with it. And I have a throttle. I can do all sorts of types of control. I can decide that hanging laundry here is, uh, is, is, is pissed me off. He didn't hang his laundry right, and I can say, you know what, dude, you have a decent income, but uh, you eat a little too much steak. So we're going to up your bug allowance and your gruel allowance, but we're going to just turn down how much money you're allowed to spend every month on uh, beef. But if, if anybody hasn't seen the social credit score uh, episode of a, like, it's like a modern Twilight Zone. It's called Black Mirror out of the UK. You need to watch that as hard as it is to watch. It starts out with this lady, and she's kind of an Instagram model type, and her life is perfect, and she's an A or whatever they score it. And over time, very quickly, she tumbles, and she can't even rent an apartment because she doesn't qualify to live there. She has to live in the slum. She has to work her way back up this social credit system. This is a very real thing. It is active in China. It is something that the World Economic Forum does wish to push, and we need to be pushing back at every level. But this is the thing. If you think the Republicans will push back for you on this, you're wrong. If you think that once the Republicans take over the House and probably the Senate and probably by a greater margin than we think, that all of a sudden all this, this aid to Ukraine will stop, you're wrong there too. This globalist agenda is here, and it is being carried out. We have to fight back through lifestyle and technology. You want to vote, go ahead. I, and I, People get mad at me all the time when I say, I don't vote because my vote doesn't matter. And I've always asked people, with math, show me where my vote matters. And no one's ever done it. So I don't do things that have no impact in the world. I don't put any energy or effort into a thing that doesn't have an, an effect because there's all kinds of shit that I don't get done that I'd like to get done. And even one little extra thing that's, that's pointless, I try to eliminate those things. It either has to have a point or it has to give me some sort of pleasure. doesn't do either one of those, so I don't do it. But you want to do it, you go ahead and you do it. You go ahead and you do it. And I wish you well with it. But it's not going to stop this. It's not going to stop Klaus. You will eat the bugs, Schwab. Right? It's not going to stop him. Your orange man, I can show you on video. I'm not going to do it today. I can show you on video. The orange man sending that to Klaus, saying Klaus has done a fantastic job here. So even your your outsider isn't going to change what's being done. You're gonna and I'm going to give you some steps here toward the end. But what I want to show you next, and when I do this, people always accuse me of being political because I'm pointing out something really stupid the president of the United States did. But when Trump was president, I would point out really stupid things that Trump did. And when Obama was president, I would point out really stupid things that Obama did. And the show's been around so long. I started the show pointing out really stupid things. That Junior Bush was doing, right? So I, I'm going to talk about the person that has the power at the time because that's the one causing the problem for us. The disconnect with reality here, to me, what I'm about to show you really could be a let them eat ice cream instead of let them eat cake moment for Biden if the media had a clue and cared. But, of course, the media's goal with Biden is protect Biden at all costs. 
But I'm going to play this one for you now. This is Biden, escaped his handlers, doesn't have a teleprompter, doesn't have any Easter Bunny to come get him and bring him back in, eating that ice cream cone. And this is what he has to say when he's asked about inflation in the United States. I'm not concerned about the strength of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Yes. Our economy is strong as hell. The internal. Inflation is worldwide. Worse off everywhere else it is in the United States. So the problem is the lack of economic growth, sound policy in other countries, not so much ours. That's a worldwide inflation. It's So it may have been a little hard to hear that because, again, he's in an ice cream shop. He's shoving a cone in his mouth. I'm not kidding about that for those that uh, that are only listening to the audio here. But basically, he's asked, are you concerned about the weakness of the U.S. dollar? In other words, inflation. Now, this is the number one issue for Americans right now. The average American who works 40 hours a week plus, who lives paycheck to paycheck, or just, or many of them are now living paycheck to paycheck that a few years ago were not. They were, they were, you know, rolling up just a little bit every month. They had an emergency fund and everything. Uh, you know, there, we're now where people have reduced or set, ceased contributions to the retirement and they are living paycheck to paycheck and they haven't had a, a drop in income. In some instances, their income is actually slightly high, higher and they're living that way. So they've gone from having a net surplus to barely treading water and it's specifically due to inflation and prices. And you're the president of the United States shoving an ice cream cone. You, Guys that don't watch the video, and it's like 99% of you don't watch the video, even if you don't watch the whole video of this, just go to today's episode notes. Again, this is episode 3184, and right next to where uh, Biden's bullet point is, there's a thing that says link. You can go watch that video. To watch this man shove, and I mean literally shoving ice cream in his face while he's answering the question, Shows a disconnect from society that is unbelievable. It is unbelievable how disconnected you have to be to be the leader of your party, have approval ratings under 40%, heading into an election that's going to be a referendum on you, shove that cone in your face and make that statement. Now, as I often say with Biden, I only hold him so accountable to anything anymore because I think he has dementia. I think that's the evidence of that is extreme. But I also think people that have dementia at the stage that Biden are at have moments of clarity. I think all of us have been through this with loved ones at some point in our life, and, and we all hope that it doesn't happen to us because it's a horrible thing. I, I am not attacking Biden when I point this out. I think no matter who you are, it's a horrible way to go down, and it sucks. But we've all had that where you're like, you're talking to your, your grandfather, your dad, whatever, and they are in so far past left field, they're in a football stadium. Okay. Right. And then you're like, man, we're going to probably have to do something here. And then you, you go talk to them the next day and it's like, there's nothing wrong. 
and they, they go in and out of this cycle until they fully enter kind of a continuous state like this. And that's where he is. And I'm not a doctor and I don't claim to know, but that's how I feel. And I, what I just saw right there was a moment of clarity. Now, the other thing that happens when a person gets like this, they lose their filter. And when your grandma talking about doing an nasty or something, it's kind of funny. But when you're the president of the United States, losing that filter can be really bad. Really bad for you, your party, your country, what have you. That's what you just saw there. And if you are predisposed to staying stupid shit, and let's be honest, as, as long as I've been an adult, Joe Biden's been saying stupid shit in, in politics. Like really dumb stupid shit and lies on top of it. Like, Lies that are stupid because, one, they're easy to prove, and two, you really didn't get much by telling the lie. You know, I used to be a truck driver. My house got destroyed in a hurricane. I was raised by Puerto Ricans, on and on and on. It goes like, you're lying. You know, I graduated first in my law class. Like, as though that's not publicly available information that somebody can't look up and go, dude, you graduated last in your law class. You're a moron. You're a certified moron by your own school. It's like, telling lies that are easy to disprove, that are that don't really help you very much. That That's a sign of a sociopath. They don't think they're going to ever face any consequences. And if you're protected enough, I guess you don't. You end up being president of the United States. But so he's had all of that come together in this moment here. And uh, I don't know, maybe they roofied him up or something, put him on whatever uh, state-of-the-art drugs are, and they gave him a moment of clarity, but he didn't have enough of a filter, plus he has enough of existing stupidity that it all came out. And, uh, man, that is that is not, that is not what you're looking for from the head of your party going into an election. But it probably won't matter because no one will cover it, except, you know, maybe Tucker Carlson and the people that watch Tucker Carlson are already going to vote against Democrats anyway. That, so it's, it's meaningless. But it's, I think it's worth... Why do I even go do this stuff? So that you will develop your own method of reaching out and taking the pulse of the country and understanding what's going on. Because that's why we started off with Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity today. What actually happens in these elections is not so much as a consequence as understanding what it means those responses and, 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 and things are as to how the people around you are going to act. We are going through a severe supply chain shortage and economic crisis and a coming real estate cra crash, and minimum a significant recession. Minimum a significant recession. And so those are four disasters happening simultaneously in the decade that I told you over 10 years ago would be the biggest decade of flux that any living human had ever seen. And so just like a hurricane, just like an earthquake, just like any of that shit, what is your biggest danger? It's not the disaster itself. It's how the people around you react. And you got to understand that there is about half of the people that would watch that, that are around you every day, around your kids every day, and go, what's the problem? They don't even see a problem with it. And then there's the other half to see a problem with it. There's a portion of them that get really mad and have the potential to become really violent. And that's true on both sides. Depending on who's in charge at any moment, the, the, the opposition side has a more predisposition to violence because they feel that they don't have any other alternative. And so I, I think we have a real potential for post-election violence again after this election because it is not going to go the way that the TV is telling you. It is going to swing harder Republican than people think. People are pissed. 
Well, how do I know? I'm taking the underlying pulse of the country. That's what I'm trying to talk about here. On that note, uh, and I can't remember who said it. Uh, I could probably look it up here real quick for you. Um, but a guy that calls himself Alpha Male and his, his, uh, his Twitter handle, which if you're, if you have to tell people you're an alpha male, you're probably not, right? If you have to tell people you're innocent all the time without nobody asked, you're probably not. Uh, but anyway, he's some guy that apparently is endorsed by Trump or whatever, a writer or something like that. And, uh, he said just a real brief quote. And I thought it was actually, a, I'm not just picking on the guy either. I thought it was a thought provoking quote, uh, a tweet, or I wouldn't have responded to it at all. And he said, weak men are dangerous full stop. And my response to it was, I, I don't completely agree. I, I don't completely agree with that. And the reason that I don't completely agree with that is it lacks nuance. It lacks a setting for these weak men. And what do you mean by weak men? And so I think in general, in a crisis, weak men be, can be dangerous because they panic and do stupid shit and they can mess stuff up. But overall, if you don't have a place that coddles weak men, gives them positions of power and authority and bureaucracy and, and political positions, that weak men are lucky to be tolerated and they know it. Okay? Like they're lucky to be tolerated and they know that they are. And so they generally don't cause a lot of problems. The guy is named Nick Adams. Nick Adams in USA is his Twitter handle. Nick Adams Parentheses, alpha male, close parentheses. Get, get out of here, dude. You, you're, you're probably not if you have to tell everybody you are. Anyway, um, so if you take away bureaucracy, if you take away the state, or if you make a very small government, a minarchy, and weak-ass bitches are not tolerated, they tend to kind of find a place try to contribute what they can, and stay out of the way. But what happens when you take somebody who is weak, not just in body, but in mind and spirit, they're intellectually weak, and I don't mean stupid here. I mean that they are, they are easily led to a conclusion. They don't stand on principle. Power is more important to them than principle. And you give them power. Well, they hold on to it and they try to grow it, but they also do something else and they, is they use it. Let, let's put it this way. Uh, do you, do you look at Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada and think that's a strong man? Do you really? It, it, and, and a lot of times the guy that ends up at the head of the, of, of the class, so to speak, like the president or a prime minister or whatever, they will tend to be more of an alpha male than the rest of everybody in government. Because they make a good figurehead. You know, you can, you can clown on Bush Jr. all you want, but the guy wasn't physically in, in really good shape for his age at the time he was president. He used to, like, the, the Secret Service used to near pass out running with the guy. Obama was physically in shape, right? And that, you know, Trump, well, yeah, Trump is what he is, but he's, he is a strong personality at least, right? He is a, a tough person in, in the way that he approaches business, for instance. But I want you to think of your average congressman, your average senator, 
your average bureaucrat, the lady that talks to you like you're a piece of trash when you're forced to go to the DMV or the tax office to do some sort of business. Any of these people, not just men, people here within these bureaucratic positions, millions of them all across the country. If you took a cross section of these people, let's say 300 of them, threw them on an island, right? Threw them on an island. Gave them a few sacks of rice for the first couple of weeks so they figured shit out. If you came back in a year, wouldn't you expect that almost all of them would be dead? Or if you somehow got a few people that actually knew how to do things and take care of shit in there, that they'd end up running the whole thing? And they'd all kind of fall in under them and still a bunch of them would die and be thrown out to sea because they're useless? Like you're either gonna, cause in that situation, right, you're either gonna contribute to society Or you're going to go. We don't have time to be pedaling a bike while you put your feet up on the freaking handlebars. We're all going to pedal or you're going to go. Don't you think that is, that describes the average person in positions of political power perfectly? Weak. But how dangerous are they? Here's an example. I heard this on Ed Wallace's show. Uh, again, this guy's leans liberal hard uh, as well this weekend. But he was talking about it was something 60-something percent of the people on Joe Biden's economic team have no experience at all. They've never worked a day in the private sector. And it was close to 70. It was like, I don't want to give a specific number, but let's say it was 67 to 69%, something like that. And his numbers are usually accurate. So now you have people making economic decisions that impact the United States and therefore the entire planet because the U.S. dollar is the global reserve currency that have never worked a day in their life in the real world. Because working in the public sector is not the real world. We all know it's not the real world. Even people that try to defend it, no, it's not the real world. It's not. So are those people dangerous? And would you probably, if you if you met them, would you probably say that's kind of some, you know, weak step in biatch, right? For those of you that know your Malibu's most wanted, right? Half step and moist ass biatch, right? Right. <laughs> Got a little pop culture on you. You gotta have some humor. This is dark shit. So my contention is that weak people are dangerous when they're granted power. Here's the other side of that, and this is what's really kind of sad. They are always the people that seek power. People think that true alpha males and, and alpha females are the ones always seeking power. Most true alphas, all they want is Leave me the fuck alone. I want to go do my thing. Leave me the fuck alone. You let me alone, I'll leave you alone. Don't start nothing, won't be nothing. Right? That's the, and people think that alphas always fight. Why is it that whenever you meet somebody that really is an alpha male, why is it that like all their friends are alpha males? And not necessarily all their business associates, just like all their friends are. And they all get along and they never fight with each other. They never have any problems with them. And they never have close associates that are betas because they can't tolerate them. Why is that? It's because they recognize that weakness. And they're probably more than happy to mentor somebody out of that weakness if they want to come out of it. But if they don't want to, they want nothing to do with them. And all they want to do, they figure out something in life they want to do that's meaningful. And they go do it. It could be a corporate thing. It could be a farm. It could be a million different things. But it's actually very seldom... Do they want to go into politics or bureaucracy? 
they do tend, sadly, to get attracted to professions like law enforcement and military. Because there's leadership opportunity, they're willing to take risks and things like that. But even law enforcement now has been totally infiltrated with beta males and weak-ass females. And they're always the ones shooting people. Talk to cops that will tell you the truth off the record, and they'll tell you. It's all the scared, weak-ass people that they let in. They stopped having these higher standards that end up causing all the problems, even the ones that look tough, right? Because you can look tough and you can still be weak in your spirit. So to me, all these weak-ass bitches, right, biatches, what, is they, what did he say again? Half-step and moist-ass weak, weak biatches, whatever they were, right, Jamie Kennedy's character said. Like, they're all dangerous because they're given power and they all seek power. You never find people, and what you see, when you see people that really are strong men and women, they go into politics, they generally quit. They don't stay there for their whole lives, you know, unless they, they get caught up in the power itself and keep moving upward. They tend to go away. You know, they serve a couple terms and they go, this isn't what I thought it is. And they go off to do something else and they want to be left alone. And they realize that they weren't ever going to make anything there. Because the thing about strong men and strong women is one of the reasons that you're strong is unless you're advancing something that's actually meaningful you tend to stop doing it and go do something else. So I want to know, you guys can tell me as we go on to the next segment here, do you think that weak people are dangerous or is that weak people with power are dangerous? Which one is it really? Because historically speaking, in society, um, weak men have kind of taken a subservient role and just stay out of the way. I mean, that's... You can like it or not, but it's it's the way things are. And I think we need to understand that weak is less about physicality and more about heart, mind, and soul because we can always improve the physicality across time if we're motivated to do so. Um, but a person that just doesn't have it mentally and isn't willing to do the work to gain it will will never do that. Now, I wanted to give you something kind of really inspiring. I think this is a, I actually want to figure out how to turn this into something that gets marketed for the sake of itself. Um, I saw this post this weekend, and I was thinking about all the people that claim to care about the planet, and if we all did this, how much better the planet would be from a stability standpoint, from a climate standpoint. Do you think carbon's the problem? How much carbon this would put in soil? Uh, and just how, how meaningful the action itself is. This guy, Matthew Robertson, Matthew the Plant on Twitter, said, I lost my father a month or so ago. This autumn... There will be 83 new oaks growing, one for every year of his life. They'll eventually be planted in a quiet, thoughtful spot on the estate. My hope is one day to sit in their shade and st tell stories of his life. Uh, and it's got a photograph, for those that aren't watching, of an acorn with a rootlet coming out of the bottom of it. It made me think instantly, and I, I did a rewind recently, remembering Bill Mollison about Bill saying, when I die, don't, don't make contributions, don't send flowers, plant a tree and say it's for Bill. And how that one man probably had, I bet 20 million trees were planted for Bill uh, shortly after he passed away in 2016. But what if we all made this commitment? When one of our ancestors, our, your recent ancestors, your grandfather, your father, if you're lucky to know him, your great-grandfather passes, that I will do whatever it takes to plant one tree for every year he or she walked 
the planet. And every able-bodied adult did this, and we taught it to our children. If we took responsibility for ourselves and that of our children in this manner, in this way. And you start to think about this and go, even if the, the wackadoodles at the you know climate extremists were right, a couple of years of that, we would literally absorb every molecule of CO2 that they're worried about. I, I did the math years ago, and it's a surprisingly low number of trees that would be necessary. Now, it's billions, right? It's actually over a trillion. But when you look at it across the world, it's it's a surprisingly small investment to make to have a hundred percent offset just by planting and, and and making sure they grow more trees. And not everybody will have what this gentleman has, which was some sort of a state that he was living on to plant them. But I guarantee you, if somebody you know is ninety years old, you can find a place to plant ninety trees, even if it's one here, one there, one there, one there, one there, one there, one there, and many of them will not make it. But what is the sheer number then? And it doesn't have to be expensive. If you can pick up acorns, you can plant oaks. If you can pick up pine cones and shake out seeds, you can plant pines. If you can root a thing, you can plant poplars and willows and mulberries. None of this is actually that expensive to do. And I want to figure out what we call it. And I don't know what yet. But I want to put out... And I'll pay for everything. I want to put out a simple website, some sort of name that just says, this is what you do. I don't want to make it complicated. I don't want to try to integrate social media and whatever. People will form their own groups and do that, you know, whatever. But just a, a very simple way to say, this is what you do. And maybe, you know, a few things on like, here's how you can learn how to do it. Like here's a place. Maybe then groups can form because I don't want to control that. I've learned that the most successful groups that I've been part of creating, I never tried to control. I let them form their own identity where people can, like, find out where they can get trees or find places to plant. I'm sure there's plenty of people that have land that would be like, come plant all the trees you want, right? There's, there's all kinds of places that we could be doing this. And uh, still, Stillness Wilderness says, I bought mine from a New Hampshire State Nursery. They were about a dollar or so at the time. Yeah. There's so many programs like that. We bought trees from a West Virginia nursery, and we were able to get like 10,000 trees for hardly more than the cost of 2,000 trees. It was something that big. Because once you hit certain break points, like this can, like, and you know, there's the Arbor Day Foundation, all, but I'm not talking about a day here. I'm talking about a tradition. And I'll tell you, this is why I think it's powerful. Traditions have power. People that create Traditions in their family, they endure. They endure. And I, 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 I want to do something with it. So you guys, you know a million ways to get in touch with me, but email's the best, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Uh, give me your ideas for what to call this and any ideas you have for like how we get it off the ground. But again, I don't want to try to control it. I don't want to like build a Facebook clone for it or so. Like, I've done things like that. It never works. Let people use whatever they want to naturally network with each other. And uh, that is a good lead into our final segment today, which is we are in a lunatic period, okay? If, if you ain't figured it out yet, we're in a lunatic period. And uh, if you want and any talking points, it would be a good time to get them in there now, all caps. I've got a few things starred. I will hit them at the end. But if you got any anything you want me to talk about or questions to answer, let's go ahead and uh, get them in all caps right now. But... This is a lunatic period of flux. 
This is crazy, meaning the confluence of a dynamic shift in the world. And I'm not a genius or anything. It's not like, you know, I'm the only one that saw this coming, but I did tell you guys more than a decade ago. The decade between 2020 and 2030 would be this huge period of flux. And flux causes people to have insane reactions. On top of it, you now have a system of governance in the world, an oligarchical system of governance that is led by the World Economic Forum, that is lathering up and using all these apparatuses of government with all these dangerous people with power because they're weak. Weak people with power are, in my opinion, inherently dangerous. And they're lathering up fear everywhere they can to create more crazy because when you have fear and crazy, you can give people a potential out. Like, hey, we'll give you a UBI, universal basic income, and everything will be okay. Just sign here. And you can create a critical mass of people and lead them into slavery willingly. And that's where we are. And people are going to have to make a decision, a decision that I've put before you many times in the past. Stand or kneel. No other option. Stand up, fight back in every way that you can, or kneel and accept overlords. Those are your choices. Be strong or be weak. And that's why the weak run inside the tent of bureaucracy, because there's safety in there for them. They become a protected class within the very apparatus they should be fighting against, that they're afraid to fight against. Never underestimate the power of stupid people in large numbers would be another way of phrasing that. But what, what are we to do? And I, I think that like the first thing you need to do, and it's really, it's two things, but it's really one that makes it happen. Get healthy, eat right. Get on a proper human diet. I, I'm tired of even defending the low carb lifestyle. We have results on results on results on results on results on results to prove it. We have a country where type 2 diabetes, which shouldn't even be called diabetes, is, is a massive epidemic, taking hundreds of thousands of lives a year, taking millions of limbs a year from people. We have dialysis clinics popping up like, like sandwich shops in, in major cities on every street corner because of the way people are eating. And everybody wants to know, well, how do I, how do I pay less for health insurance? How about how do you pay less for health care? And you start off by being healthy. Take a freaking walk. Lift weights. I don't care what you do. Get physical activity into your life and in your daily routine. And take care of yourself from a dietary standpoint. If you drink too much, drink a lot less. If you can't drink less, you shouldn't be drinking at all. So quit altogether. If you smoke, don't do that shit. It's cancerous. My sister has cancer right now. She's convinced it has nothing to do with cigarettes because it's not lung cancer. It's like some people cannot be reasoned with. Right. And her husband is missing half of a foot from type two diabetes, but it's not his diet. And they're just a microcosm of the whole. So step one, get yourself physically as conditioned as possible. There are people that have severe injuries and disabilities, et cetera. And they say, well, I can't do what you do. Okay. Well, do what you can. Cause I know a lot of people that are, they're claiming they're disabled. And I know a lot of people way more disabled than them that are doing a hell of a lot more than them. And you can't get your mind right. Somebody added to my list and said having your right mindset and right spirit on Twitter. I would say you could add that. You could make that a seventh one. But you will not get your mind and your spirit right if your head is or your your body is wrong. It's not optimized to what you're capable of. 
and you're not eating right. If you're eating all these chemicals and shit, you're not going to have right mindset. You're not going to do it. 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 One more time. You are not going to do it. It's not going to happen. So do those two. And that's first. I've had, I have friends that have told me, you know, and, and they, they are getting help. Some of them are military people and whatever, and they have some, you know, psychological issues. And they're like, I got to get my head right and then I can get my body right. I'm like, no, no matter what. You can go take three walks a day. You can, you can live on ribeyes for a couple months and take the weight off because when you, the biochemical changes in your body, when you get your health right and your physicality right will help whatever changes you need to make emotionally and mentally easier, even if they don't totally fix the problem. I'm not saying you can make depression go away with a walk, but you can mitigate depression by taking walks. Mitigate and make go away are not the same thing. We all have things we deal with. Those two first. Next, build personal wealth. I'm, I think I'm one of the few people saying this in the world today, that this is a great time to build wealth. And you can use Bitcoin as part of the way you build wealth, and you guys know I'm big on that, but it doesn't have to. I don't care what you do. Build wealth. These periods of flux are when all kinds of pain happens and pains equal opportunities and opportunities equal opportunities to capitalize. And there is no doubt that no matter what happens, to quote one old, old mentor of mine, life is like a shit sandwich. How's that work out? The more bread you have, the less shit you got to eat. The guy that taught me that, his name was Luther. He was a mentor when I was a very, very young man. He wasn't good for a lot, but I've, I've never forgotten that advice, and he was dead on. All these things that are going to happen, you're going to be better off with real wealth, not just paper wealth, real wealth built into your life. A homestead that produces half your food is real wealth. A piece of land with a buffer so the crazies can't easily get to where you are is real wealth. An income property is real wealth. A business is real wealth. True assets are real wealth. Build real wealth because you're going to need it. And the ability, people think it's hard to do right now. It's not that hard to build wealth right now. It's going to get harder. Next, one more time. GTFO, you guys know what that means, right? Get the F out of your Flashpoint cities. If you haven't taken that advice, get out. Don't move just over here to the next city that the cancer is going to spread to. You don't have to move out in the middle of nowhere. But get out of these places. You know where they are now. You know where they are now. There's actually very few places that I would even consider living in this country right now. Because I saw Republican and Democrat states alike and what they did during this, this BS COVID. I saw what they did. And I saw states like my own go in on it, but then go, wait a minute, this isn't working. And there, like, there was a certain level of rationality, like, we can't keep doing this. And I saw these other people still clinging to power. And then I saw the places where, when the Black Lives Matter stuff happened, where the cities burned. If you, if the city you, you live in burned, or the city you're a suburb to burned during those protests, and you're still there, it's like you're asking to be punished in some way. I know it can be hard, but have you tried? Get out, get out, get out, because it's going to keep getting worse. It's it, Some of these cities, it, it's hard to understand where we're at in society for people, because you can read about history, but it's hard to see it when you're living it. 
and you're always living history. And you need to go look at some towns that were big towns in America in, let's say, 1880 that are ghost towns today. Now, maybe they're not ghost towns like Tombstone or something, but they're just run-down, ramshackled shit, garbage. No one wants to live there. That's coming to L.A. That's coming to San Francisco. That's coming to Seattle. That's coming to Portland. That's probably coming to Atlanta. It's very hard to accept these things. But the world is littered with ruins that were once great thriving cities. In nations that are still there, that were there when they were great thriving cities. And we are entering a decay phase. And even if those cities can regenerate on the other side, you don't want to live through it. You don't want to live through the back end of the decline. Your, everything else I gave you will be easier to do, not there. Not there. Next, you need to build local and non-local community into your life. You need to have a network of people you can count on. And, and again, I, I, I encourage you, you want to be really tight with who gets in your network that's non-local. That you want to be really tight with. Your local network is the people that live around you, whether you like them or not. They're who you have. They're what you have. I've said it this way before, but if you've ever run a company or had a significant large staff work for you as, as a department head in a company, you know there's always people there that you had the power to fire and you wanted to fire. And if you, if you could have fired them, you would have. But even though you had the authority to do it, you knew the consequence of getting rid of them was going to be terrible. Because while they sucked, they were performing a function and you did not have a, a replacement for them. So you worked with what you had. You tried to bring them up and you constantly looked for somebody. And if you didn't bring them up, by the time you found somebody to replace them with, then you got rid of them and you brought a new one in. Assuming you had that level of flexibility. Some companies, you just can't get rid of a parasite. But if you've ever worked where you, you had the authority, you had the discretion, this guy's going to go. And maybe there's a certain number of forms you had to fill out, but you could make them go. You still kept people you didn't want to. And that's, that's your neighbors, guys. The people around you are what you have. You should know your neighbors because you're going to need them. Even if they're like a lot of times you have the neighbor that you really wish would go away. You need to keep tabs on what that person's doing too because they're, they're the weak man that's dangerous. They're the weak person that's dangerous. Last, remember there's no solution. There's no solution outside of your circles of influence and control. That all these things that people focus on every day, they, they, they're really not the place to be thinking. First, I want to say before I go through some of your stuff that you guys have done in all caps for me, Chief of Beef just hit me with a $75 super chat. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's, that's a hell of a, That's a hell of a hit right there. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Liberty Garden said, forgot caps. Can you comment on the Berkey filter class action suit? I don't even know anything about it. No one's told me anything about it. So somebody suing Berkey is probably somebody in California or something. I don't know. Since I don't know, I'll look into it and I'll get back to you because right now I, I, I don't, I can't say something about a thing that I don't know anything about. Um, first last said, anything can be hacked. Given enough time. See, and that's what I want people to understand about this. If you give the United States government an encrypted file, sooner or later, they will get into it. But it's not like, it's not what you see on TV. 
It's not Chloe O'Brien going, I'm working on it. I'm working. That's not how it works. There's very sophisticated programs that brute force attack looking for the encryption key. And if you've ever heard me explain how Bitcoin mining actually works, it's not solving complex mathematical problems. It's a brute force attack by the largest, most powerful communi- communications or, uh, uh, technology network in the world that eventually somebody hits the right brute force number string. And as there's more and more, the network gets bigger and stronger, the encryption gets harder and harder to break. And they can do the same thing. But what does it take? Let's say that the United States had a supercomputer that could break any encryption in 10 minutes. I don't think they do, by the way, but they did. Okay, but you want to find out that I was looking at a picture of a cat. And you have to tie up this supercomputer or group of supercomputers for 10 minutes to be like, oh, he was looking at a picture of a cat. You wanted to know that me and my buddy David were discussing the recipe for the best old-fashioned. And it takes you... Per unit, 10 minutes to get that information. Now multiply that by 300 million Americans or several billion people around the world. You see why making this level of encryption available to everybody all the time is the best thing you can do for privacy. Because you make it to where they have to start being very specific about who they pick and choose and why they pick and choose them. And I think most people would agree that if somebody's trying to like blow up the earth, with an emollient P32 explosive space modulator, right, that we would probably like that person stopped. I don't think most people want this level of encryption so that that person can get away with it. By the way, that person's already using military-grade encryption. So maybe if you went out, government, and you actually looked for the people who were bad people, instead of targeting moms who don't want their children uh, subjected to a drag queen stripping in their library, as domestic terrorists, right? If you weren't doing that, if you weren't still out hunting down grandmas who were in D.C. on January 6th, if you were actually looking for actual bad guys, by the way, bad guys that you weren't enabling and giving shit to and empowering, like you actually just went after bad guys that acted on their own, it wouldn't matter that this existed because you would go out and you would use all that power to do something useful for society. What people want, I think, is simply to be left alone, to not have everything you do building a dossier, because I can't remember who said this. I think it was one of the Nazis. Show me the man, and I'll show you the crime. If I have enough information on anybody, I can create a crime real or imagined. And and I think the goal in society today is to build that dossier on every American to the point where anybody can be harmed and silenced and shut up and gotten rid of at any point that they might become a problem, or in even entire groups. I know that sounds conspiratorial, but, guys, I think there's plenty of evidence for it. Yenner Shute says, did you hear about Gary Collins? I wanted to let you guys know that um, Gary Collins, uh, The Simple Life Now, uh, formerly he had a site called The Primal Power Method. Uh, he was a member of our expert council here for three years. He's a good friend. Um definitely killed some beers with him at some conventions. And he actually came here uh, to one of our, our fall workshops. Really good guy has passed away. Unfortunately, or I don't know really if that's the right word for it, but I have no further information. I know this happened fairly, fairly recently. Uh, there was a post made by whoever runs his website on his site. And it was a basic obituary that said he had passed away suddenly. And it listed 
like his survivors, like his parents and, and some nieces and nephews and things like that. No information to the cause of death. No one's reached out with me for that. And I would just say he was a valuable member of our community. Do me a favor. Don't start speculating with no information on what happened to him. Don't start like, like I bet the vax got him because he probably wouldn't be that guy or, or, you know, the government got him. Whatever. People pass away all the time. Gary was a mountain biker. Gary drove his vehicle up and down to his place in Washington State. He said to me multiple times, there's places if you go over there, you're gone. Things happen. Gary was 52 years old. It could have been a cancer that he didn't want to make public. Who knows? And I think a family has a right to not reveal any information they don't want to reveal about whomever passes. So let's just say a really good man who made his dash count is not here with us anymore. And that's sad, but at least he made his dash count, guys. Um, I said all the time, make your dash matter. Gary Collins made his dash matter. He helped a lot of people in his years. And it's very sad that he is gone. And uh, when he left the expert council, just for anybody that wants to know, there are times when people have felt like I've done, done what I can do with this thing, and I've answered all the questions. And three years of answering almost a question a week, because he was one of those guys. He was never on the pikers list. If a question came in, he answered it the day I sent it to him. Um, you know, he probably answered in three years, a hundred questions. And, uh, so it was like a completely mutual, Hey, I want to go do these other things. And, 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 and we kind of moved on from there as we do. And I do change up expert counsel from time to time just to get new perspectives and, and things like that. I, I guess you would say the guy that most, wow, that's loud. Sorry about the jet guys. We'll let that pass. F-35s are strafing me. They know I'm speaking the truth to you guys. Anyway, um, Anyway, I kind of derailed me there. God, that was loud. Moving on. Uh, D. Frico once said, in Oregon, the gas went up before potato went begging for more, but it's now back down a lot. Yeah, and I think that you're going to see, you know, inflation is only one part when we talk about inflation as the multiplication of money as it moves through it moves in, and duplicates itself through society. So, Banks lend money into existence. That's part of inflation, how many raw dollars there are. The other side is supply and demand has an impact on the effect of inflation. So if you have scarce money, you have abundant everything. If you have abundant money, you have scarce everything. But people still do react. And when gas costs more, people drive less. You know, there's an inelastic fuel demand and there's an elastic fuel demand. You know, whether I, I take a long road trip or a short road trip for my vacation is something that is a, an elastic demand. An inelastic demand is I have to drive to work. But, you know, more and more people are figuring out how to work from home and things like that. More and more companies are offering it. So you will see people make these adjustments, and eventually you will see, you know, some declination in price. However, I, I think you're going to see gas go up like nobody's business after this thing in France breaks loose. Uh, I really do, and I think it's going to be hard for that not to happen. Bonnie Blue shot me a 999 Super Chat and said, would it be reasonable to look at all foreign aid as a money laundering operation by those in our government in retrospect seeing corruption accountability to funds in Ukraine? Is all funding for all foreign aid a form of money laundering? Well, yeah. I don't know if it's as blatant as it is in Ukraine. Ukraine is a straight-up money laundering scheme. It is only about 10 to 20% of foreign aid to Ukraine is actually ending up on the battlefield. 
That's actually not a bad batting average for government, though. Just I'm going to say, like, of your tax dollars that the government takes, it, about 20% of it actually does a thing, good, bad, or indifferent. There was a, a study that was done not that long ago that they figured out that if we literally just took all the money the government takes in taxes and just randomly distributed it, like helicopter dropped, it went out on the street, paid somebody a penny a dollar to give dollars away, you know, like flyers, then we would be better off economically. Because it's it would be so much more efficient than what government does with money. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's it's an interesting way to look at it. But when we give money to all these countries, you have to think about this. We're giving money to countries that hate us as foreign aid. We're giving money to countries that they don't really hate us. They don't do a lot for us in foreign aid. And we're giving money to countries that we find to be very useful one way or another in, in aiding us in certain things. But there's very few countries that we're not giving money to because we're the world empire. And so foreign aid is a method of what's known as, as soft power. So if I'm giving you 20 million, 20 billion, whatever it is, dollars a year, I have power over you because I can always stop giving it to you. I mean, love them or hate them. The orange man was right when he said we can make Mexico pay for the wall by building the wall and then billing them out of their own foreign aid. You can either help us or you can pay for the wall one way or another. Like that's not pro or anti wall. That's an economic statement. So I want you to think about it this way. If you have a 16 year old kid living in your house, the more things you've given that child, right? Still a kid should be heading toward adulthood really fast. But as far as stuff and services and maybe an allowance, the more power you have. If they have a car, You can take away the keys. If they have Internet access and you're tired of the fact that they're not doing the things you need done in the house, you can turn the change the password. I used to do that with my son all the time. It was the days before, you know, you had Internet access just because you had a cell phone. Right. Like, I remember that he just come to me and go, I, I can't get on the Internet. Oh, you want to use you want to use my my router to access my Internet service and your dog still doesn't have a bath. Or if they have an allowance, you can just say. I'm going to take away your allowance until you start doing the things that I need done. And you have power. And as a parent, that's a useful tool. And, and to where I, I wanted my son to have lots of stuff, lots of nice stuff. And then when I felt he wasn't growing into a man quickly enough, I would say, well, then you don't deserve this stuff provided to you. You're going to have to learn how to provide it yourself. We got him a truck. We paid the gas money for a couple months. You know why? I wanted him to get a job, and I didn't want to have a long discussion about it. I wanted him to get motivated and go get a job. So all I did was cut his gas allowance off. You know, you got a vehicle that gets 18 miles to the gallon because that's what he wanted. Gas was selling for about two something a gallon at that time. You don't go very far on a little bit of money you have squirreled away in your, your, your dresser drawer or whatever. You got to go get a job. Well, I need my truck to get to work. Well, when you get a job, I'll give you some gas money and I'll loan it to you and you can pay me back with your first check. Well, I need to go to an interview. When I know where you're going to an interview, I'll put five bucks in your tank for you. And that's how that got done. And we do this with foreign aid. We do it all the time with foreign aid. And so it's both a manipulation of power, but it's definitely a way to launder money because we can get this huge amount of money that's for good and we can put it to work doing Things that are not for good. 
So it might not be money laundering the way the mob does it, because the mob's more honest than the government. But I, I don't think it's unreasonable at all, Bonnie Blue. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, GMA Merkel says politicians were the hall monitors in grade school. Often. Often. They were often, and I, I don't mean to pick on anybody's childhood pain, but there's two different types of people who were the kid that was walking down the hallway in school that other kids would walk by and slap the books out of their hand. There's kids that said, you know, enough of this shit, and they, they used it to find strength, and they developed in their life, and they became strong so that they didn't have to deal with that type of treatment from people anymore. And there's others who retreated within themselves, became bitter, and found a path to power as the hall monitor of society. And those people can be anything from a high-level federal official to some guy going around writing citations because somebody's fence is out of code. And I think we have all run across in our adult lives, if we have some, you know, if we've actually done stuff, we've run across that person. And you go, that's that guy or that's that person, that's that girl. They didn't have power and now they do and they find the power seductive. And every time they right a wrong, they feel they're that kid again. And there's many of them out there. I ran across that um, at a project I did with Brian Black down in uh, Big Bend uh, uh, National Park. We went. I want to get into it, but we had we ended up getting stopped by one of the park rangers, and the guy was just a pain in the ass. And you could tell he was that guy. And eventually, you know, he called for backup because you had two guys taking pictures of each other. It was a camo comparison thing we were doing. We weren't bothering anybody. We had checked in, but I guess whoever, whatever Karen we checked in with didn't make the note of it. And so the, his partner or whatever shows up, and his partner is like like a guy like me. And he quickly assessed the situation and basically shuts us, like shuts him down. And then he had a talk with us about what we were doing, but he was actually intellectually curious, and we had a good conversation. He was easy to get along with. But without that second guy, that first guy, I don't know that he could have done anything, but he could have made our lives miserable for a time. And he was just that guy. Carl says we need to figure out a good hashtag for Twitter for the project of planting one tree for every year that your father, mother, grandmother, whatever was around. And I, I, I think that'd be probably a good idea. I don't know what that is, but we need a name for it. If we get a good name for it, I will fund it. I will fund it. I won't even I won't ask for any real help on the placeholder that tells people what it is. And then you guys run communities however you see fit. And hopefully people that don't even know who we are don't care who we are. We'll run communities and help each other do it. Uh, Pippin Zed said, attempt to buy a new house now or wait for the probable crash. I've talked about this. I can't go deep into it today. I've talked about it a lot lately. Uh, go listen to the segment with John Pugliano on my follow-up to it from Friday last week on the Expert Council Show. But it, it, it's not that simple. The, the, the Property crashes, but interest rates continue to climb. The same house costs more money, even though it costs less money in ability. To, to, so I think the only people that will really benefit from the coming real estate crash that's already started are people with big wads of cash or easy lines of credit that can flip the property quickly into uh, a rental boom that's probably going to come. Uh, this is an individual decision that you have to make. This is what I've always said about buying a house. You need to go into a house knowing that when I buy this house, if my life turns shitty – I can still maintain this house. Good times, bad times, that doesn't change. But you're gonna, you're gonna get into a situation where people are gonna not sell that really would want to sell because it, look, look at me for instance. 
I have a mortgage on a property. I pay two hundred five for. I think I owe like. Don't call me. There's somewhere in the one sixties on this place now. It 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 would legitimately appraise at four fifty to five hundred. Ten years later, I could sell it for that. There's no doubt I could sell it for that. It's it's even difficult to fight property assessments now because I'm like, yeah, you're probably not wrong. Um, but what would I get? What would I do if I sold my house for four hundred fifty, five hundred thousand dollars right now? From a standpoint of housing, all I can do is go buy a house like the one I'm going to sell and end up it costing me more money. I can cash out some of it and all, but in the end, I'm sitting on a three percent interest rate on a hundred sixty thousand dollar mortgage. And so, the places like mine, this is what I'm telling you to get out of these cities. This is the trap I talked about. I talked about this for two years, and no one wanted to hear it. I don't want to sell, and people like me don't want to sell. So these properties that are like this. They they don't become part of the market unless I die or decide I want Jackistan, and that this is not good enough for Jackistan. And there's there's you know millions of people like me out there holding these types of properties, and what's going to get clobbered as it always does is the suburban properties, especially in the ones that are around cities that are in complete moral and economic decay. So I can't tell you what to do. You have to make that one for yourself. Uh, Hanging laundry said I met a carnivore yesterday. Seventy-five year old man who looked fifty-five went keto a month ago. It's awesome. That's why I think it's a big part of what we need to be doing right now. Uh, Carl said, "Dumb, spelled it wrong. Make it tree membranes. Not bad. I want more input on that though. This is a big thing we should probably uh, hear from a lot of people on. And then just real quick, I want to again thank Chief of Beef who sent seventy-five bucks in a super chat, guys. That's great. So." I want to talk to you real quick here at the end about uh, a plan I have for Fountain. I have a couple different plans to uh, to hit the top of the charts uh, for contributions in Fountain. But this is what I want to do um, maybe this week. I am going to sell, and this is going to be based on your ability to pay me by doing a big boost on Fountain and whoever emails me the fastest. I'm going to sell two. No, I'm going to sell one. Lifetime MSB membership. I usually sell them for $300. The first person that emails me, jack at the survival podcast.com, and you better be able to fund lightning. You better know how to do that because if you can't do it this week, I'm going to get the part, the second person. The first person that emails me at jack at the survival podcast.com with TSPC fountain in the subject line, I will sell you an MSB account that usually sells for $300 for $250. But you'll have to do it as a boostergram on Fountain. And so that's what I'm going to do to kind of boost things up this week. But I'm going to keep doing some cool things like this. I found some old Copper Sentinels. I'm probably going to sell some of those. I've got some uh, old uh, TSP Mint Silver around. I might sell a little bit of that over time. And my lovely wife's saying goodbye to me. Uh, but this week, that's what we're going to do. Just one. One MSB lifetime membership. And that's something that... Um, you can't just get last year I sold a to- sold a total of 10 and the year before I sold sold a total of 15. So it's not something that happens. So you have to pay on Fountain um but you can deposit money hunters. I'm just saying you don't you, 40,000 sats is not going to get it done but you can use Strike and you can deposit to your Fountain wallet. So anybody who's willing to do that, the first person that gets me an email 
we'll get to do that this week. And, and we'll see if we can just with that alone, maybe knock Adam Curry off his little uh, golden seat that he sits on up there. And anybody else wants to dogpile on that and just throw some booster grams at me this week. That would be great. Or stream some stats to me on. And you don't have to use Fout. You can use any uh, podcasting 2.0 app to listen to the show. And I will see the stuff because I manage on the Fountain side. Anyway, also want to remind you guys, hey, do you like this show and the work that we do? You want to help support us? Uh, I'm going to tell you a great way to do that. Do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Uh, no matter what you buy there, you uh you you want to you 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 help support us no matter what it is as long as you start your shopping there. Today's item of the day though is the Sacred Seven Mushroom Powder Extracts. Uh, this is seven of the best anti-cancer uh, mushrooms out there. Again, I make no health claims whenever I talk about stuff like this, but I give a uh, a tremendous uh, amount of uh, information out in the post and a write up that I did today about uh, studies that have been done on the the properties of these mushrooms. This came to me from Nurse Amy, from Doc Bones and Nurse Amy. Uh, she found it for reasons when, when COVID started, which really didn't move me much. But when I looked at the research into the mushrooms and her reasoning behind choosing the product, I was like, this is the product I've been looking for. I think mushrooms are amazing. I have heard numerous talks by Paul Stamets, and I am a believer in the, the, the fact that we, don't, we know one-tenth of one percent of what's possible from the world of fungi. But we do have a lot of evidence that these particular mushrooms are quite beneficial. It's easy to use. It's very inexpensive. I put a half a teaspoon every day in a cup of coffee. And I can't tell that cup of coffee from the next cup of coffee apart. It just kind of disintegrates under there, and, and, and it's easy. And it costs me pennies a day to do it, so I recommend it. And, uh, you know, uh, shit the fan fitness says he loves the preaching on health. Well, this is part of health. It really is. And... You know, I was taking this huge supplement regimen when I was losing weight and starting out keto and the COVIDs and all of that stuff. And I'm down to very little of it at this point. Um, but one, I will, I will use this product or a product like Sacred Seven for the rest of my life because it's too inexpensive and too risk free not to use, uh, based on the potential upside of it because cancer is a real threat. You are surrounded by toxins in your life and anything you can do, maybe it doesn't prevent it. Maybe it doesn't treat it. Maybe it makes your body better able to fight it, even if you end up in a bad situation. Maybe you're more likely to come out ahead. Maybe not. I don't know. But, again, when I'm talking about 20 cents a day on something like this, yeah, I'm I'm in. I'm in. And, uh, no, it's not for microdosing hunters. This is not that kind of uh, – uh, it's not <laughs> – not those kinds of mushrooms. Not that I'm opposed to them, but this is uh, more of a, a macrodose, I guess. Uh, again, half a teaspoon a day. And they're on sale. It's on sale right now, and they changed the packaging to, like, a plastic container, uh, which I find very useful because the bag was kind of a pain in the ass to use. And we, you're trying to get the last bit of it out and uh, what have you. Or a plastic container with a top. It's also a nice reusable container now. So I needed some more today, so it was on effect. And do the mushrooms affect drug tests? Not these mushrooms. Not that kind of mushroom, Dennis. Anyway, with that, we wrap things up. I'll be back tomorrow. We have a special guest episode of Bitcoin Breakout tomorrow. Then we've got our guest appearance on Wednesday for regular TSP stuff. I'm going to do something Thursday. I know you guys like shows like this. I get a lot more people showing up in the live feeds and all. The videos get a lot more views. Um, there's a, just a lot more that comes in from kind of these variety topical shows. But I, I'm going to tell you, this Thursday, we're going to do something nuts and bolts because uh, we haven't done that for a while, and I want to get back to doing those shows too, even though they're, they're less listened to because – 
it's the thing that you can actually do something about that's most important. I will, I will take, uh, I will, uh, I will talk to you guys again tomorrow.